Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I was getting fairly straight up into the face of Prince Charles and he just scowled at me. The story of how Richard upset the future king of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland coming soon to the memoirs of news correspondent Richard Chambers. Hello and you are very welcome along to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley. Uh, not much of a group in studio though this week. I'm here all on my lonesome because my newshound correspondent colleagues are off on location reporting on various aspects of Joe Biden's trip. Um, our news correspondent Richard Chambers is in the celebrously titled International Media Centre in Dundalk, Richard. I'd say that's more of an ironic title, Gavin, but uh, it certainly is international. It is not much of a media centre in terms of overall scale, but you will see behind me uh, a whole gaggle of people uh, from the world's media, uh, all eating hang sandwiches, all eating free bags of potato, dairy milk. So yeah, it's good loud hospitality for everybody here anyway. All of Ireland's great cultural exports all being showcased in Dundalk. Uh, somebody who doesn't look like they've got as good catering where they are, nor a gaggle of international colleagues is uh, our news correspondent, Zara King, who, um, Zara, it appears as though, for those who are watching on TV, it appears as though you were on the back of a bus. I am on the back of a bus, Gavin. Uh, we are at Dublin Airport waiting for Joe Biden to touch down uh, here. And of course, uh, by the time you listen to this, he will have landed in Ireland. But uh, this is us out on the beach. Uh, this is the glamour of it. Myself and Mark literally down the back of the bus filming this. Uh, Mark anxious to get out into the lashings of rain to get his position to get that crucial shot. So we may have to leave you actually in the next 20 minutes or so to go out and do that. But uh, yeah, so welcome to the glamour of television reporting, folks. Back of the bus. Uh, <laughs> let's get as much group chat uh, out of the way as we can then before the uh, the <laughs> elements uh, come and claim you uh, for the weather gods. Um, obviously, you, you were all out and about and I will be out and about a bit later today and tomorrow as well uh, to cover the visit of uh, President Joe Biden. Um, so Zara, let's start with the staff actually because we don't know when we might lose you. So you are there in Dublin Airport and at the time of recording, mm. we are still waiting for him to touch down on Irish soil. And already, um, do I understand that there's already a bit of a a uh, question mark over whether the weather is going to allow him to do all the things he wanted to do? Yeah, so there's kind of a question mark over, you know, the way he's going to actually depart from Dublin Airport to travel up to Richard. So uh, there have been talks of travelling by helicopter now. They're thinking it might have to be uh, by road. It just depends on the weather. When we got here, it was dry but windy. Uh, now I have to say the rain is bucketing down. So all of that will be decided uh, once he lands here. He will be greeted by the Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar and uh, as I say, then heading up to meet Richard where uh, all that excitement will unfold throughout the day. I like that you said he's going to meet Richard as if he's genuinely going to like sit down for yeah. a chinwag with, with Richard about, uh, you know, Bo's being six points clear uh, so early in the season. Of course, is, he season not? is he not? So if, he wants to join, if he wants to join the podcast, you know, well, listen, you we are have to here and ready waiting him for him, you know. Uh, if, if Marine One isn't available to do it. Um, Richard, one, one point which I wanted to touch on, but you've kind of mentioned it on it there already with the, the gaggle of people that are there behind you. Sometimes we overstate mm. that we presume that the eyes of the world are on a visit like this, but it actually seems like from the, the volume of people that you've got behind you in Dundalk that there is quite a lot of media attention on this. Yeah, look, I mean, the eyes of the world cliche is, is always overdone because there's always a load of different things happening around the world. But definitely a lot of people here. 
let's let's be honest about it. And there is a lot of interest in this visit, given as it was, you know, as it was framed as being about you know the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, despite the fact that Joe Biden spent you know 16 hours as Chris Mason of the BBC said, and half of them asleep uh, in the north before really the more personal end of things of this visit uh, in Ireland. But there is a good deal of interest, and it seems. I don't know if it's controversial to say, a lot of this seems to be geared towards American eyes. It does seem to be quite a, an American network TV focus on things in terms of the timings of when he's going to various different points along his tour in Ireland. I know there's a, a big uh, set piece interview lined up on Friday for uh, Joe Biden with Morning Joe on MSNBC. So there's a lot of an American focus on this and more so than you would have seen probably for the, you know, when Barack Obama was here a number of years ago. That seemed to be a bit more of a, this is an international affair. This seems to be something which has quite an American focus, but as well as that's just a very personal focus, I suppose, from Joe Biden's point of view. But that is a fascinating point, though, because, you know, we, we think of these things and, you know, the address that he's doing in Ballina on Friday night, he's expected on stage at around about nine o'clock. So, you know, we think that this is all being done for the benefit of the people that he's speaking to on site. But what you're saying is that this seems to be more about sculpted to a TV audience back at home rather than anybody who's going to see him this week in person. Yeah, it kind of feels like that. I mean, again, I don't know if I'm spilling tea or, or spilling state secrets here on this, but there has been a great deal of frustration, I think, from the press uh, here in Ireland about how these things are organised. And I mean, you, I and Zara know that, you know, journalists are very thin-skinned people and will complain about, you know, almost the smallest of inconveniences. But uh, there has been a great deal of, you know, chopping and changing on things. And, you know, things aren't the timeline of things. And obviously you're trying to work with, you know, the most important or the most busy man in the world. So things aren't going to be very easily kept to timelines. But it is quite, you know, the times don't really work for a lot of the things which are on here. Um, I mean, we're all going to make the most of it. And it is going to be an interesting and fascinating couple of days as we get through it. But it is a very it's a little bit of a there's, there's definitely been an undercurrent of frustration even from chatting to some of my colleagues here in the press centre and over the last couple of days we've had to sort of lead up to this visit. On that general theme Zara, let's, let's peel back the curtain a little bit and give people a sense of um, just how much advance time there is hanging around because of all the security stuff. So you, you are, I mean, at the, at the time that people will hear this, he's already been on the ground, so this is all past news. But you are on the back of a bus. Just talk yeah. people through your timetable for the day and where you had to be X number of hours in advance of Biden touching down. So I arrived at the press centre in Dublin Castle and the latest time I could get there at was 10 o'clock this morning and it's now half past two. So I'm four and a half hours into the working day and to be totally honest, I've done very little. <laughs> so just hanging around, sort of asking where the pastries kind of thing. So it's been a lot of waiting, a lot of standing around for what will essentially be a shot of the plane landing and a shot of Leo Varadkar meeting Joe Biden, which you'd imagine the entire landing and, and the whole sort of uh, meet and greet will take probably about 20 minutes to a half an hour max. So it is a lot of uh, waiting around. It's a lot of security when you arrive at the press centre. You're scanned through security in the same way you would if you were going through an airport. And so basically you're in this kind of sanitised zone now and you can't leave. So um, yeah, there is a lot of that that goes into it. I know the team at the DFA are working really late hours into the night to try and get out briefing documents to journalists and trying to get all of that stuff um, distributed but it has been challenging because things are changing and, and different things are happening so it can be uh, quite difficult but um, I suppose picking up on what you were saying earlier Gav just and Richard pointing out there about the timings of everything you know I'll be in Balna on Friday I think that 9 o'clock address will definitely land in time for the tea time news back home in the States and we have to remember as well that I think it's up to around 40 million Americans um, identify as having some sort of Irish heritage that's a big part of this trip for Joe Biden particularly if he plans to run in the next election which he has indicated that he will so you'd have to imagine that some of this uh, coming home to Ireland stuff will really speak to other Irish Americans who really sort of see themselves in that. 
Um, let's just do a slightly deeper dive then into that last topic about this idea of whether Joe Biden is running again. And we did have that spectacular non-announcement announcement on Monday when he was talking to NBC and said that he planned to run, but he wasn't prepared to announce it yet, which sort of sounded like he was announcing that he was going to run just in a less formal way. Um, we talk so much, Richard, about the influence of Ireland on America and the influence of Irish America and that demographic of Irish Americans. There's a case to be made that this is maybe the last great visit of an Irish American we're going to have because Ireland just doesn't have that kind of cachet or that political clout in Washington that it used to. Yeah, it's very much in the way. And I think that's an interesting context to this. If you look at this in a way of, you know, the last hurrah of a generation, there was a very strong generation of Irish American senior politicians in the States, whether you talk about Joe Biden himself or you talk about, you know, Richie Neal, you know, high profile senators like that, even the Speaker of the House of Representatives now, uh, Kevin McCarthy of the Republicans, all of these people, very much senior figures in American politics who are very proud Irish Americans. Now, obviously, we have seen a whole, you know, multitude of, our, of presidents from America landing here over the over the decades really we've had a fairly unprecedented level of visiting uh, in comparison to other countries of similar size and scale to ourselves going back to you know JFK Nixon Reagan all these people coming along because of some level of Irish heritage uh, to which they are connected but that is definitely fading away there has been a focus on a couple of different reasons for this obviously the demographics in the states are changing so you're having more you know prominent politicians coming through of who either have through you know the mixing of different backgrounds and the fact that, you know, Irishness is now not considered almost um, in the same way as it would have previously. Previously, it would have been considered an underclass, something which people were proud of because they felt they had to claw and fight to get to where they are in American society, despite being Irish. That has changed as Irishness has become almost synonymous now with whiteness there. And you have other groups uh, in demographic changes, particularly Latina and Latino Americans, uh, really clawing their way up through, you know, the democratic or the uh, demographic states, I should say. But as well as that, there's just an ageing process through the Irish-American politicians. Myself and a couple of colleagues here were looking through the Friends of Ireland caucus in um, the US Congress. And the figures who are there are all getting on a bit in terms of age. So we have had so many American presidents come here and visit, whether that's because of Irish links or because they've owned property in Ireland, as was the case for Donald Trump. But that might all be changing very, very soon. It was a really good illustration of that loss of the Irish cachet in Capitol Hill actually only a couple of years ago when Joe Crowley, who was a veteran Irish-American congressman for the Democrats in New York, even lost his seat in the primary because that's the seat that's now held by yeah. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the, the Latina movement that she presents. Um, on the flip side, Sarah, and let's t talk less about how this is all being handled from a media perspective. And I know this is a somewhat ironic question to be asking you while you're on the back of a bus outside an airport. Do you think there is as much public buzz <laughs> for this as there might have been for presidential visits in the past or maybe even more so? Yeah, look, we talked about this last year on the podcast as well. Look, the truth of the matter is that I suppose look, Obama had a certain star quality. I think the Clintons probably had it at the time as well. Um, and I suppose with Trump, I think there was a curiosity or certainly a kind of that came with its own sort of uh, connotations. I don't know, is uh, there the same level of maybe buzz and excitement or certainly though now that it's started, I'd imagine this afternoon and, and what unfolds in, in Loud this afternoon might sort of generate a little bit of excitement. Definitely, I know in Balina the, the excitement is building. That's going to be huge. There is going to be huge crowds out at that. But I suppose outside of the places that he's actually visiting um, I don't know will people you know sort of get in their car to travel to those counties or to be there for those events I guess we'll see um, as it unfolds I do think what's interesting though and um 
is that like you know we talk about that idea of presidents that have uh, links to Ireland and how that down the line we may not have that I think sometimes people are a little bit uh, cynical and eye rolling and we talk about the idea of you know being sort of um, you know pandering to the Americans and, and but I think at the end of the day you know we're very lucky to have this opportunity to be on a world stage like this and we talked about this around the time that you went to the States Gav mm. uh, for Paddy's Day I just think the fact that uh, we have this international attention and that there is uh, three days of coverage pity that the shots will all have rain in them today unfortunately but I mean you know we can't buy that level of international coverage for such a small country and I think there's a lot of taking that for granted at the moment and I think when we don't have that anymore down the line when, when there are future US presidents that don't have links to Ireland I think we might feel the effects of that and we certainly might miss it. Uh, that's all definitely true and there's definitely a real value to the the sort of the informal advertising that we get out of all of this but there is a counterpoint to all of that Richard though isn't there and this has been given voice to by some TDs who are already announced that they're not going to show up to Leinster House when Joe Biden is speaking there which is this idea that we're all a bit fawning and even the fact that we've now spent 12 or 13 minutes of this podcast talking about the visit of Joe Biden when we wouldn't talk at the same length about the visit of Ursula von der Leyen or Olaf Scholz or Emmanuel Macron or anyone else maybe that says its own story. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's something which is easy to get lost in it. And if you look at all of the the wall-to-wall coverage, you'll see uh, of this visit, in spite of the fact, as Zara was pointing out, that you probably wouldn't have, you know, mass interest in it in the same way as you would if it was Obama or Trump coming over. Um, It can be easy to be swept up in the fact that, you know, a lot of the coverage can be very much, this is a homecoming for a proud Irish American, all that sort of stuff, which obviously is is true. But you lose, you know, the political realities of these things as well. Um, And that is the fact that obviously there is a protest for people, some people on the left, uh, particularly people before profit, uh, highlighting the fact that if Joe Biden is here and the whole point of why he's here and why he says he's here is to celebrate peace and to keep the peace, well then what about the American support for regimes in Israel? Do people in Palestine not deserve peace as well? And Saudi Arabia, particularly with review to that uh, war in Yemen, which has been uh, condemned and criticised by a whole cast uh, of human rights organisations. Mm. And the Saudi regime, of course, has uh, military links to the US government as well. So if we're here and we're talking about peace, what about peace in those countries? I mean, are all things being equal? Is that not something which is worth pointing out? Now, one thing actually I think it's worth saying actually at the outset of this, because um, Joe Biden is notoriously gaffe prone. I think it was Ian Paisley Jr. was actually talking about this the other night on Talk TV of all places, saying that, yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are worried about what Joe Biden might say over the course of this visit. I did notice that he was sort of in uh, his speech at Ulster University, he was very much bigging up the um, the Irish-American links of, you know, down through the years. And he said an Irishman had designed and built the White House as some sort of a matter of pride, despite the fact that James Hoban, the, the architect he was talking about, owned people who were enslaved and, sla- and, you know, enslaved people built the White House. So that's not exactly the sort of thing you kind of get away with saying in American politics in this day and age, particularly if you're a member of the Democratic Party. So I think that's something to keep an eye on now over the next couple of days as well, is Joe Biden feeling a little bit safer, feeling a little bit more unguarded in Ireland, uh, feeling that he's back amongst his people on safe territory and what that might actually mean in terms of what he might actually come out and say. Yeah, it was already really notable. I, I was tweeting on Wednesday morning when we recorded this that security issue that there'd been where somebody found on the side of a street in Belfast some classified details of his security and the phone yeah. numbers of the PSNI officers. And it was incredible how immediately it was seized on by those on the right of the American spectrum and using that as an example of how Sleepy Joe's administration can do nothing right even though it might well have been an issue with the PSNI rather than Biden's own team themselves. Um, just a word on that before we wrap up the Biden conversation, Richard. Um, 
is there so you put in context exactly what Joe Biden is doing. So he's uh, when he's here on Thursday, he's uh, meeting, going to the Oris, meeting um, President Higgins. He's going to Farmley to meet the Taoiseach. Then he's going to Leinster House to address the Taoiseach and everyone else in the doll. Then he's got that non-state dinner dinner in Dublin Castle. So Leo Varadkar gets a lot of FaceTime with Joe Biden, whereas Rishi Sunak gets 25 minutes over a fairly bland cup of tea in a hotel meeting room. Like, you would be forgiven for thinking that the Brits have done something to be out of sorts or out of favour with the Americans. It is, and it's, it's something worth noticing. I think we mentioned it in, in the actual group chat on WhatsApp as well, that, like, you know, if the whole point of this was, and it was initially built, remember all the planning about this originally, there was meant to be a, it was meant to be a longer visit, and there would be, like, a celebration of the Good Friday Agreement. There was talk about, you know, himself appearing at events alongside Bill and Hillary Clinton. There's none of that. There's only one event publicly in Belfast. He was greeted at RAF Aldergrove in the north by Rishi Sunak on a very grim-looking runway. He then went to the Grand Central Hotel in Belfast, where he then met him for half an hour for a quick cuppa uh, uh, literally um, a bilaté meeting is what they were describing <laughs> it as as opposed to the bilateral uh, literally just grab a quick cuppa there before I jump into uh, the business of the day like there's a lot of like I mean it's hard not to take that as a snub I know like they're trying to downplay the fact that this was you know some sort of a slight against the UK government but it didn't look great but it also doesn't look great from the point of view of the north as well like I mean there was some it's worth mentioning that there was a couple of columns written during the week that this was a really big opportunity opportunity for America to cement itself once again as a player in terms of the future uh, of the north of Ireland and it really hasn't done a huge amount to do that I mean Joe Biden was promising extra funding if Stormont gets back up and running but there's no push really to get that done quickly what I would say as well is when you look at the coverage, uh, particularly from just talking to people on the street in the north in the north of Ireland, I think they certainly feel that they had hoped that this visit from Joe Biden would give Stormont a nudge uh, in the right direction to get things back up and running. Uh, whether or not it's had that impact at this point looks probably uh, unlikely. Now, guys, I'm really sorry. I'm going to actually have to go now because uh, Mark needs to get the camera set up All to right. catch this uh, shot of the flight landing. So uh, we're on the hoof here, but we're going to have to leg it. OK, right. We may see you then a little bit later in the podcast. If not, Zara King, thank you for joining us from the back of the most salubrious international media bus that there's ever been and um, we'll be back with more cricket in the <laughs> Uh, in a way, not that we're ever happy that Zara King isn't part of a conversation in the group chat, but as was disclosed a couple of weeks ago, she hasn't yet started watching Succession, or at least she's only on the first couple of episodes of season one of Succession, which is handy then because there's a chat about spoilers coming up the next couple of minutes and we don't know how much we want to spoil for her for whenever she gets to season four. Um, for those of you who haven't yet caught up with this week's episode of Succession, now may be a good time to fast forward a couple of minutes or to switch over and come back to us in a little bit because we're going to be talking about this week's episode of Succession but not just about the episode itself about the fact that there were so many spoilers everywhere and Richard your your take on this could be useful because I know you were one of those people that I think saw a spoiler about what happens in the episode before you got to see the episode how did that affect your enjoyment of it? Well I haven't seen it yet Gavin I have, uh, I've, I've held off now as a result uh, of this uh, so basically I took all the necessary precautions that people do in this day and age uh, when they haven't watched something which is aired first in the US uh, and it is due to air slightly later, only a matter of hours over on this side of the Atlantic. So you mute keywords on Twitter, you unfollow like the account of Succession or whatever on Instagram. And yet despite that, despite that Gavin, our friends in the Irish media <laughs> took it upon themselves to send push, notif- push notifications about plot lines from a fictional programme or to publish headlines on their front page. 
So I'm looking specifically at the Irish Times and the Irish Examiner. The Irish Examiner was the one who actually uh, got me in the end. Um, and a lot of people are infuriated about this because there was a lot of chatter online about, you know, literally something very big. I don't know. I don't know if we want to actually spoil what happens. Something very big happens in the third episode of the final season of Succession, which will probably have a big impact on, you know, the future of the show as it goes towards its, 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 its big finale. Um, and it's very, been very hard for people to, to avoid it. I actually got a load of messages. I don't, I don't know how many people knew that I was watching Succession, but they were like, you have to watch this immediately before it is spoiled on you, which says a lot about how paranoid people are about spoilers. I don't remember a few years ago people being all that worried about if a major plot point from a television show was ruined on you, so to speak. Mm. Uh, but it is now a big thing. And I think actually TV studios do a lot of stuff about, you know, they put it in place embargoes and stuff like that because they don't want key points to be spoiled. But one thing actually I noticed on the way up here um, this morning, uh, I was flicking around through some of the uh, this morning's front pages from the UK. I was in the front page of the Daily Mail. Uh, they had a big banner headline uh, talking about the demise of a character in succession. That's a spoiler in itself. Uh, and basically saying uh, at the last line of this four line headline at the top of a newspaper, which is meant to be about actual factual things that happen in the world, uh, says you couldn't make it up, uh, despite the fact that it is a fictional TV show and it is in it fact. Is. Quite all made up the as, a, as a matter of fact is that it's made up uh, I think we've given people enough of a couple of heads up that if they want to avoid what actually happens um, then they can't be too annoyed if we've given them three minutes of a head start and we're going to tell them what happens so the main the family patriarch Logan Roy dies in this episode and Richard you've already as you've outlined you've seen that, that plot line and you know that that's happening <laughs> cam my cameraman has just lost his mind oh, here now no. at this actually got it he's shaking his head oh here. Ronan I'm sorry uh, Ronan McIntyre, who is Richard's camera crew in <laughs> Dundalk. I can't believe we didn't factor that in. We, we war game oh, so God. much how we were going to handle this conversation. So, Ronan, okay, Ronan, we're, we're sorry. Listen, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of waiting around which is going to happen out the, yeah. after, for the rest of the day uh, here. He might actually catch up. He might as well watch it well, now. You, like, you, might, you might as well, for, for well catch up now on, on Now TV or in Sky Atlantic <laughs> or wherever else you see it. So, Logan Roy dies unexpectedly in this episode, which is, in the grand series of things, it's not unexpected because episode one is about the guy having a health scare. So suddenly everyone is now wondering, well, what's going to happen? How long can he stay around in the job? And, and eventually something like this was going to happen. And what I will say without getting too much into the, the weeds of the program is that even though, Richard, you haven't seen it, you will still really enjoy the episode because the acting in this episode particularly is phenomenal because the reaction of his four children to his death and the different ways in which they process mm. that and their different uh, gut reactions as to how they respond is phenomenally executed and is a brilliant piece. Yeah. As regards, though, the, the kind of the spoiler culture, like, is it about time that there was some sort of international accord as to how long you can expect to get away without finding out a materially important piece of what happens in a TV show? Because, like, not alone now is there the TV show itself, but there's, like, if, if I was watching mm. that episode in real time, I would immediately want as much supplemental material as possible. I want yeah. to consume as many podcasts about it as possible. And Succession's one is quite good. I yes. want to read as many episode guides or reviews. I want to see what TV critics have to think about it. I want to be so immersed in that that you kind of have to understand then that if there's that much extra material that exists in the Succession ecosphere, it's inevitable that someone's going to tell you something before you've had a chance to see the episode. Yeah, totally. There's like whole... You know, ecospheres around TV programs now. You mentioned podcasts, you know, episode guides, all that sort of stuff now. 
like it is a bit of an international issue. I don't know. Paul Hosford from the Examiner is going up to the to Carlingford Castle for a sort of a, a close sort of pooling arrangement around Joe Biden. I might ask if, as you say, there could be some sort of international accord set up now <laughs> to prevent the spoiling of key television programs, which are considered important to the national fabric or international fabric. But it has got to a point where people are almost a bit sensitive about it, because like I remember, I remember. It was only a couple of years ago. I actually spoiled something from a, a film from the mid two thousands. Like Hang it was on, a is fairly it possible to spoil film. something about happened fifteen no. years ago? No, I once I once tweeted out uh, what happened in the Sixth Sense, which has one of the most you know widely spoken about plot devices of all time. <laughs> the big twist in it, <laughs> yeah. uh, and somebody gave out to me for that. And I was like, why could you complain about a spoiler in a film from nineteen ninety seven or eight or nine? I don't know what it was, but like it, there is just like an unrealistic expectation that people have now, and I'm kind of of the view now as well. I'm probably less spoiler phobic if you want to use that t- uh, turn of phrase than most people mm. don't really mind a huge amount I was kind of I'm, I'm, I'm watching Succession at, at, with somebody at the same time now so I don't want you kind of want to experience it at the same time as them so that's the only issue I've had with it this time uh, otherwise I'd be like ah it's fine it, it was going to get spoiled I'll watch along it's going to be good anyway like if a thing yeah. is good like people go to the theatre all the time and they go see productions of like Macbeth and King Lear despite the fact that they've seen they it or they studied it in yeah. school and they know what it is so you know what happens it's about the journey that takes you there and the quality of the production that gets you there so there's a little bit too much of that now but I, it, it just has become this thing and there is such a level of paranoia around spoilers uh, but as well as that, the sort of just this wanton driving of a whole carriage uh, of spoilers through the national media yeah. for, for something which really doesn't have a relevance on the front page of national news websites. Well, well, at I'm, least, I'm sort of caught between two stools. In yeah, because at, at least what the Irish Examiner did when they sent around the push alert, which included the news of, hey, Logan Roy died in this episode. At least they did that at 10 o'clock on, on Monday night. So there was this sense of, well, if you're a real succession, you know, avid follower, you're going to find some time on Monday evening to watch it. So it's un- they would consider it to be unlikely that the news was new to you by 10 o'clock on Monday night. Um, There was another um, you mentioned the Irish Times and their infraction what they did on Monday morning at like middle of the morning, like half nine, ten o'clock in the morning before many people would have had a chance to even catch up with it, they tweeted blithely, you know, oh here's what happened last night in succession where Logan Roy died and people were going, hey, what the hell? My wife saw that and said, okay, well, I've just seen an enormous spoiler. So basically, we, we need to watch that episode now. And she, to be fair, did not tell me what the, the major fact point was. But I think we both still really enjoyed the episode for various reasons. But that brings us to another point, which is that when we were talking about this in our prep calls during the week and before we didn't know that Zara wasn't oh, yeah. going to make it onto this part, Zara was telling us that she likes to read the Wikipedia articles of different episodes or different films because she wants to know in advance what the plot twist is going to be. And her argument was that she can then appreciate the acting better and she can spend more time thinking about what are the breadcrumbs that are being dropped? What are the threads that we can pull at here? Where should we see this coming? And she gets to enjoy it in a different perspective there. And when she started telling us that, I was like, that's mad. Like, why do do you want it spoiled by reading the Wikipedia first? And then when she explained that the benefit that you get out of it, I was a little bit more open-minded to that approach. Yeah, I'm a little bit annoyed that she's still not on the call now because I did tell her I was going to absolutely shoo her to bits over this because it's absolutely <laughs> a, a bizarre thing to do. It's grand for a rewatch if you want to, you know, if you've seen something and then you want to go and see, well, let's have a look now how they established, you know, how they planted uh, some of the elements in this, how they planted a little bit of foreshadowing on these things. Reading something while you're watching it to get to the end point as opposed to just watching it and getting to the end point. 
surely spoil some of the dramatic effects but apparently she says that she knows other people who do this as well uh, and I worry for, for, for the well-being of these people uh, given that they cannot watch and enjoy real-time uh, dramatic productions but look it, it, I'm not going to criticise people I, do, I, well, I, mean, I already did but like each to their own and all that sort of stuff but it's um, I'm not going to uh, yeah, criticise people pity she isn't here. after pledging to shoo Zara King for her insistence on yeah. embracing the spoilers uh, well here on a related she, note she, she, knew, she knew she was Jewish she yeah, knew well, she was Jewish. Yeah. Uh, she, she can be shooed in absentia uh, in this case. Um, well, another thing, a, a pursuit that she doesn't follow, but that you and I and the aforementioned Paul Hosford and others have, and this is a, a tangent, but it is a kind of another aspect of spoiler culture, is how mm. difficult it is if you have a casual following of professional wrestling and the major events and plot lines of yeah, WWE. Yeah. It's nearly impossible now to basically open your phone at all the morning after there's been a show the night before without having spoilers, not alone on Twitter, but like pumped into your Instagrams and stuff. And like you, you mentioned there, this idea that you'd unfollow the account of Succession or whatever. Like, I, I didn't realise that that was the thing that people did, but now I'm sort of minded to go, actually, yeah, I might have to start going to unfollow these people because if, like, for WrestleMania a couple of weeks ago, like, WrestleMania is a two-night event, you can't pick up your phone on the Sunday morning without seeing what happened on the Saturday night, and that then kind of ruins your enjoyment of the Sunday night as well. Yeah. So, I, I know some people, follow, people who I follow online do this thing called the match of the day challenge particularly if they're taking in part in fantasy football where basically the idea is that you spend your entire day avoiding what's happening live in the football so say it's Saturday with all those kickoffs at 3 o'clock all that sort of stuff your main Sky Sports games and all that you avoid all that in the hope of getting to match of the day and having spoiler free football uh, and I don't know if, if spoilers can you even use the word spoilers about stuff which happens in like you know live events and, and sport yeah. but it is it's that old thing of I, I stuck a tape in on the match and I tried to turn off my phone for, for a while because yeah. well, I was in work while it was happening and I couldn't get home but yeah you, you kind of have to take precautions these days because people, people, people will want to talk about these big dramatic events or sporting results or succession or whatever it is as soon as they happen because they have become such a you know a centrepiece of you know the shared enjoyment and you know what of these shows and yeah. our sort of collective culture there's very few programs and very few sporting events that have that place now because we are spoiled for so much choice that when it comes to the big big things people do feel probably like they are able to and they want to and they feel encouraged to get into the nitty gritty yeah. share memes of you know big moments from all these things and just you know go hell for leather and spoil it on everybody else so, I didn't know yeah, that curse you people, challenge that's thing was, was still a thing I actually thought it was still a weird anachronism that if you watch the BBC News at mm. 10 on a Saturday night and they do that thing of if you don't want to look the scores look away now and I'm like who's still doing that because I would have thought now, yeah. if you're like you and me yeah. and you play Fantasy Premier League on, on a uh, Friday afternoon or Saturday afternoon you want all the stuff immediately you want to know has your triple captain paid off like, I, I can't understand people who want to live in that void but maybe we're just we're, we're news people who want all the information all the time everything everywhere all at once aren't we and tragic nerds as well Gavin that's, that's kind of the key point there I think I we left out try yeah. not to say that bit, but, but <laughs> fair enough one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why United Healthcare offers flexible budget friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, well, Richard goes and avails of the aforementioned incredible catering at the Dundalk International Media Centre. And uh, while we wait to see if Zara is able to rejoin us while she's moving off to move the camera, uh, we are joined in studio uh, by Killian Woods, senior business supporter with the Business Post. Um, Killian, you do an awful lot of housing reporting for the Business Post. And housing is a theme that we find ourselves very hard to get away from on the group chat because we always get messages from from listeners or followers or people who are just complaining about the state of the market. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a very open ended, kind of cerebral question, which is. Do you get the same impression from talking to investors, uh, constructors, government side? Do you get the same sort of disheartening impression that the whole system is banjaxed and it's basically beyond ever fixing? Do you know that's interesting? No, I don't. I think there's a lot of optimism on their side that they that they've got this cracked and there's we're just a few months away from it all slotting into place and, uh, and, and they, which is tough and, to take and after. And they think that genuinely that they don't think that is a, just a, an empty line that they have to say to convince people that they're in charge. Oh, or maybe convince themselves that they're in charge of the situation. <laughs> you know, like you kind of have to back yourself that you've kind of got this under control or this next plan or this next housing estate or this next policy is going to sort it out. I suppose you'd say the same for the government approach to it and that yeah. they, they are kind of hoping that the next, there's no silver bullet but the next one will be the yeah. final bullet in the chamber that they need to actually solve yeah. it all. That's what it feels like. But I'd say there's an overall optimism from the industry side that they've kind of, that they're going in the right direction or that, that they can address it. Yeah. Which, you know, a lot of people will be sceptical of. Well, I was going to say that people will find that so difficult to believe that the industry genuinely does believe that it's it's always on the precipice of turning a corner. Like, so what, what gives them rise to think that they are about to fix stuff or that it can materially make an impact? Well, maybe there's a bit of a, uh, we need to separate the two things out in that the industry isn't necessarily looking to solve the affordability problem. The industry is looking to solve, well, is looking to bring to the market products that it can sell to people yeah. who can afford their product. So I think that that's what we have in Ireland a lot of at the moment is we don't really have, we've, we have the Land Development Agency and some government initiatives that are trying to build affordable housing. But there's no industry, there's no private investor. That's not affordable. Isn't in the back of their mind about what they what they've can bring to the market. They see an acute shortage, mm. and when there's an acute shortage of any product, there's a prime op- opportunity to charge what you know what a higher than the going what the price that people can actually maybe so, should pay. For so, not, so not to be callous, but it's just the the straightforward truth of when you leave things to the private sector is they're going to charge as much as they can for it, and they know there's a market out there, so they're going to do it. This is business, right? Like that's just what yeah. we, and we shouldn't really expect anything different of them. Which is why some of the criticism of the government would go to if you leave it to the private sector to solve a problem like the housing crisis. Well, naturally, then it's going to be a private solution to a public problem, yeah. and the private solution isn't going to be that we need to build affordable housing because we've got like they're competing. Let's say for when you think of housing, there where you said it always comes up. It's a, it's the fun. It's the fundamental like cornerstone like cost of living issues. Yeah. That's the likely the most expensive thing most people spend in a given month, in a given year. Like I'm not, maybe your rent would any a lot of people wouldn't spend that much on one product in one go mm. in a year, like maybe spending 1400 to 2000 a month. So I think when you ask the private market then to come into this, they're going to try and get the most value they can out of you for that rather than they're not they're not thinking about well like maybe the government would be approaching it that we need to have property be a fair price so that people have the money to go out to a restaurant they have money to spend in shops probably that's they're all in on that mm. investors and there's some investors who are in on maybe retail and 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 maybe and also housing and different like diverse portfolios but a lot of what we're seeing coming in now is just pension funds and investment funds coming in to make returns to their investors at 
any cost. Mm. They, they don't care if people have money to go out in the evening or they just want to maximise their profits or the amount of money they can make from property. Which makes sense when you hear it said out loud, but it's not something which is said out loud very much. And that's probably then why, because uh, I know you reported in, in last weekend's Business Post about advice that had been given by a German institutional landlord. So people know of Hibernia or IRES, they're sort of two of the biggest landlords. People might not know the names of the other ones, but there was one hedge fund or one um, investor called Patrizia, mm. a, a large landlord. And you were reporting last weekend about some of the stuff that they were saying about the cost of living in Dublin, which seemed callous, but which actually when you take on board the it's, very narrow role of an institutional landlord so, makes an awful lot of sense. Yeah, so Patrizia would be like, there's lots of different kind of scales of maybe investment funds that come into Ireland. There's the Vulture Fund, maybe the most popular you know, moniker people would know, then Cuckoo Fund who buy homes and be just ahead of buyers. This would be in fairness to them they would be putting the money up to build apartments that wouldn't be built if they if they didn't come in with their money. So they're, so just they're like, making the building yeah, they're happen. Make, they're, they're making the building happen. So we can, like, there's different scales of investment funds that people have their okay. issues with. So they are putting the money into it that builds an apartment project that then brings the market. Now, they come from market like two and a half, two and a half to 4,000 per month. They're not, they're not for, again, they're not for everybody yeah. or they're not for the, the entire market, the affordable market. But it's, it was interesting to see, they did a little report on Dublin. It's hard to know who it was pitched at. Like at first I thought it was a pitch to investors, was a pitch to people looking to live in Dublin. It was kind of a rundown of like how much coffee costs in Dublin, how much, what the transport is like. But some of the language was so, yeah, it was callous, but you can't fault them for being inaccurate. Like I took down like, the, mo- the opening line of it is just I read that and I thought this okay, is just bonkers on. The opening line so, of this advice wh- from Patrizia What is the best way for a citizen of Dublin to lower their cost of living? Move to virtually any other city in the European Union and like That's, that's supposed so, to be the showcase no, but I, Move to Dublin so I don't It's know, dearer than everywhere I don't know who, who you pitch it Is this to an investor to say oh look this is the market you need to be involved in because parts of, part of the other parts of the report said you know there's a shortage of rental stock meaning there will always be a demand or there'll be a, like a, a demand beyond any of some of our people's lifetimes at the moment so I'm not sure who they're pitching it to but it was just in stark words like they're saying looking at social media buses are outdated outmoded and you know just not fit for purpose and there that was about the transport then they said there was a, just if you want to get uh, Dublin was a capital of heritage and hedonism but it'll hedonism. set you hedonism okay so many different uh, meanings of hedonism. So <laughs> I'm sure they're good. But uh, yeah, there's the one more popular one. Then there's the more general, like low-key definition of hedonism that isn't what uh, are we yeah. past, past watershed. But <laughs> but uh, so that they, but that will set you back like five hundred thousand. Like that. Then they say like yeah. it's capital of heritage and hedonism, but it'll set you back five hundred thousand euro for to buy a home to live yeah. in Dublin for this, and that's only accessible to certain people. But there is a weird disconnect when the people that are saying, "Oh, this place is dear. Nothing you can do about it. Like cost of living is mad." And yet they are also people who are kind of in their own way directly responsible for setting the high price of living. Yes, I don't know how to feel about it. That's, you know, I, I think you can't fault the accuracy, I think, of what they're saying. And, and they put and they cite, they cite their sources and they say, look, if you look at the World Bank and you look at all these different like Mercer and all these th- different things about Dublin, it, it ranks here in cost of living, it ranks here for property and prices. So you can't fault them for like, it's it's accurate. It's an accurate report of Dublin. It's just rare you see, like maybe maybe even mask is slipping is the wrong word to use here. But to, for them to be so blatantly blunt about this is what Dublin is like, mm. and this is what people need to know about Dublin, because a lot of the, the different narrative would be that we're not expensive. This is what the price. This is what the price property should be, and apartments need to cost this much because we bring you a lot of other services around it, like you get a gym and you get like a community space and you get like a co-working space. So to hear them say just Dublin is too expensive and you should just leave if you don't like it or you can't afford it. Yeah. I, 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 but I don't know where that fits in with 
where we're going with Dublin or Irish cities in general because if we're pricing out at, at that level and that's what the new rate is going to be yeah, for rentals. Yeah, that's the new normal forever. Like yeah. I, I was at a property conference a few years ago and someone said, someone asked a question quite bluntly to a developer, oh, I won't name and shame, but they were saying like, where do you, you say in the bottom floor there's retail of this apartment block you're building? He said, yes. And there's going to be a deli there, like in that shop. Mm. I was like, yeah. Where's the person making the sandwiches going to live if you're charging three and a half thousand euro for a one bed? And they said in the social housing. So it's kind of also we were approaching it like that the service workers then just go into social housing because that's where social and then those service workers have to work in the deli. But we're approaching kind of housing in a weird way at the moment where and this is the again back to it, the private approach to a public problem. Yeah. They just see it's like, no, we just want to get tech workers in. But if they have nowhere to put like their children for schools, where there's no teachers to teach their kids in schools, like we see Google now is gone, it's getting the apartments they own in Grand Canal and they're going to give them to an approved housing body to give out for cost rentals. So, and they want guards mm. and teachers to move in. It's not as simple as that. You can't just, you know, give them to guards and teachers. But, you know, yeah. that's, that's the mess we're in at the moment. Which kind of then leads us to a very uh, an interesting final question, which is that if we even did have all the staff or all the money to build all the properties that we needed and all the land, that where would the builders themselves live in the meantime? That, that's the, yeah, and that's, and that's the biggest acute shortage. That, that's the main thing that will stop us from getting up to whether you want the numbers, the government say 33,000 on average a year for the next 10 years, or it's 50,000 a year going forward, or six, 60,000 is the highest rate, the highest number I've seen. But, you know, we can just keep naming numbers if you want. Yeah. But, you know, okay. that is pretty much the problem. We yeah. don't have the workers to scale up to that and it'll take years. And I know Simon Harris is putting in place a lot of apprenticeship programs programs to try and boost the numbers, but that's like, you know, that's very early days yeah. and early doors of getting people in. You, and then where do they live exactly? And where do they live? Uh, you said when you were sitting down, you haven't seen the last couple of episodes of Succession. How have you managed to avoid spoilers? I, I actually don't know. Maybe, maybe it doesn't lend itself to spoilers. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you know, well, like, I don't know, you don't, like, you don't see a character walking, it's like, oh, they're in this episode, or, but uh, uh, now you're having me... I, have to not, I, 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 I just kind of stop talking But now, that is a spoiler. It. Saying, have you seen, oh, it's really good. I think that's a spoiler as well. You're kind of making me, building it up now, it's in very my good. head. You should go watch it. Uh, go leave right I now. Can't, I can't watch it yet. Gillian Woods, thanks for joining us this week in the group chat. Thanks, Gav. Right, welcome back to what is now rapidly becoming the bloke chat because Zara isn't here and Killian's left us so it's just me and Richard having a chat again. Um, Richard, what are you doing for the rest of the week? So you're obviously you're in Louth for, for Joe Biden's stuff uh, on the evening of recording. What are you at for Thursday and Friday, do you know? Well, first of all, I just want to say, actually, make the point because like, we have been quite, you know, cutting and sort of peering back through, you know, some of the, the hubbub and the hype around the Biden trip. Has to be said, though, that like people here, particularly in Dundalk, have been hyped to the max on Joe Biden as one of the places uh, which is welcoming him. So, you know, there there's flags out in every street corner. People were posing up with their flags earlier on. Uh, so that is something which is worth mentioning. Tomorrow, uh, or Thursday, I should say, which is my final day of Biden mania, uh, I'll be at Farm Lee where he is meeting Leo Varadkar in the uh, very salubrious uh, uh, surrounds of that state-owned property uh, in the Phoenix Park. And the Phoenix Park has been absolutely on lockdown. I, I don't know if you've seen this. The, uh, I, know, I know a couple of guards who have been on duty in the Phoenix Park over the last couple of days. Very hard place to police, actually, because it is just a huge chasm of a place. Mm, so you're there yeah. doing literally foot, foot walking the place and searching everywhere. The zoo has been closed for a day, uh, so the red pandas have had a day off as well. So that at least you know some benefit to that. Uh, but that is the focus for me. What's what, what's on your agenda then as we come towards you know the denouement yeah. of Biden in Ireland? I uh, think you just called it Biden Mania, and we've just gone from WrestleMania to Biden Mania in a couple of clean minutes. So what what a segue that is. Uh, my Thursday is largely around Leinster House because obviously not alone being the political correspondent, and I'm the the Leinster House. Um, 
habitué uh, of the group. But also, I'm in a side role, I'm also the chair of the Oireachtas Press Gallery. So it's up to me to do the loaves and fishes thing of figuring out who can actually sit on the gallery, making sure that every individual outlet has a, an opportunity to be represented, but making sure that the bigger outlets have multiple staff so they can cover their multiple angles or for the daily and the Sundays and all of that. And then I'm the go-between between Department of Foreign Affairs and the press corps. So, for example, it was up to me to tell people that much like Zara's bus trip earlier on, that for people to be in the chamber for Leinster House for 3.45 on Thursday, they'll probably have to be in Dublin Castle at about half past 12 and get a bus at one o'clock. And it's my job to be the, the go-between between all of that. And this is a week when I was supposed to be on annual leave because it's Easter recess and it all doesn't sit. So I wasn't supposed yeah. to be here. So it's been a very relaxing holiday for me. It's, it's one of those things as well, though, if you're in that position where you're telling people yes to you and no to you or you can get another camera in or you have to be out at that time, it can be very popular and very unpopular depending on what you're telling people. So I'm sure you've got a little bit of that as well. I'm, I'm sure they have. I'm sure there are people behind my back that there's all sorts of um, sidebar WhatsApp groups <laughs> where people are complaining about uh, Gavin Riley's malevolent reign of terror uh, responsible for the press gallery. Um, like it is, it, we should say, before I sound like I'm, I'm cribbing too much about the gallery stuff, um, like this is real inside baseball stuff now, but Leinster House is, is a pretty rare occasion or a pretty rare example of somewhere where the journalists themselves decide who can get in to cover stuff that in any other place the government would be the gatekeepers the government could decide who gets in and it's good yes. that, that the press corps has that autonomy to regulate itself and to decide its own affairs and not be beholden to any kind of central government but I suppose the downside is that it just creates a workload for people like me that have to take on on weeks where it's otherwise um, otherwise should have been fairly quiet um, so Farmley then for people who are listening on Thursday morning Farmley is where he's going to be sitting down with the Taoiseach yeah, it is indeed. Yeah, so I think that's going to be an interesting one. Obviously, he already had, as you were there for the Oval Office meeting there uh, only last month for St. Patrick's Day. And there was a little bit of a question about, well, what exactly do you talk about when you've already chatted to him a month ago and now you have him over on your turf and you go again? And I suppose that does speak to what Zara was talking about earlier on about the value of these things and having somebody uh, like Joe Biden who does have a genuine interest uh, in Ireland. Um, so, you know, having FaceTime with the American president is a big thing for political leaders in this country. You've even seen on the opposition side of things like Mary Lou Macdonald talking about how important this visit can be for Ireland and cementing America's role in the future of securing peace in the North. But I was, I was going to ask as well, I mean, you've done a good rake of these as well as I have now at this point. What stands out to you in terms of, you know, the pitfalls of actually covering one of these sort of big visits or these big multi-day events that can transpire every, every couple of years or so? Actually, and this might be a good note to wrap things up on, because I was just about to say that sometimes we can be very jaded about all of this that we you know we get to see stuff like this and Zara you and Zara have done plenty of royal visits before and you're very used to pooling and but the, the the nature of pooling or the idea of having to be somewhere hours before the event takes off is that sometimes you can get very jaded and you don't see any kind of magic in it or that you don't have the same excitement that the public might and it might be a nice closing thought that although the three of us are very like inside baseball or oh, this is just a job for the people of of Carlingford or for the people of Dundalk or for the people of Ballina or anywhere who lives around Knock this week is a really huge deal and don't let our jadedness or our cynicism about the operational like tiredness of all of this don't let that take away from the joy that they get because as we said the visit of a, an Irish American president is a big deal and this might well be the very last time that an Irish American president is ever on our shores waving the colours as, as broadly as this guy is yeah and actually just one note on, on one of my uh, highlights from pool reporting which is where you're just bet to be like you know you send one camera or one uh, broadcast reporter or one written journalist along to just small scale events I was doing the visit of what was then Prince Charles to Ireland on his first major visit to Ireland 
Ireland. He went back to Mullochmore, where, of course, uh, Mountbatten was killed by the IRA. But he was at a, a banquet with Michael D uh, in a castle in Galway. And I was very young and a little bit too, like, you know, pushy in terms of trying to push what we could actually do in terms of access. So uh, Prince Charles and Camilla was there now, the Queen Consort, and Michael D was there with Sabina Higgins and all that sort of stuff as well. And they were all posing for actual official photo photographs. And I had what was then a very clunky big phone. You know, it's one of those things which is not very really a smartphone. It has all the buttons and all that on it. And I was just getting on because obviously the resolution of these things is very poor. So I was getting fairly straight up into the face of Prince Charles and he just scowled at me. Uh, and uh, um, uh, it was, uh, it was it, it's a great photograph. I, it's somewhere on my Instagram from a few years ago. There's probably about a thousand photos if you scroll back to for that. Uh, but it was very much a sort of a like, you know, look, you can't take reporters anywhere they will rough things up a little bit to be honest okay I'm going to send people to Richard's Instagram uh, at News Chambers and if you can find that picture from the grid and put it up on your on your story Keep again scrolling. for people who yeah. listen to this and they'll, they'll enjoy that uh, the story of how Richard upset the future king of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland coming soon to the memoirs of news correspondent Richard Chambers uh, Richard thank you uh, thank you not in for absentia. the first time Gav not thank for the you. first time uh, thank you and, and apologies to Ronan for ruining <laughs> succession I really am very sorry I don't know how we didn't think of that uh, thanks to Zara and Mark Am who are no longer on the back of the bus. Thank you to everyone in the gallery team here uh, in Ballymount. And hopefully we'll have a full group in situ next week. And so then from me, Gavin, and all the team, thanks for watching. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.